This episode of Undercommon Taste is sponsored by... Of Mice and Men and Monsters is a podcast which combines the art and beauty of classic literature with the fun of Dungeons and Dragons roleplay. These episodes are led by me, Kate, Dungeon Master meets High School English Teacher. We take on quests in these fascinating worlds, meeting and adventuring with the greatest literary characters of all time. It's a much more exciting way to experience literature than writing an essay. Essays don't have swords which burst into flame. A new episode of Of Mice and Men and Monsters is released every other Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for a D&D podcast with a dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. Hello and welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. Our best discoveries come from chaos. From going to the silly places that seem stupid and foolish. I'm Ian Woodworth, and up above me here is James Daly. And <laughs> well, welcome to not actually the live stream, because we had to re-record this intro. <laughs> um, turned out that my OBS settings had defaulted back to the default uh, inputs. And so it wasn't picking up my audio right. And it definitely wasn't picking up James's audio right. So yeah. the first like 19 minutes of the live stream were us being barely loud enough to be understood. And then me trying to figure out what in the world was going on. If um, you want a mental image of what happened, Think of the first time you made cookies with your mom in the kitchen or family member if your mom wasn't there. That giant mess and how chaotic that was. Now remove any guiding presence of an adult or parental figure there. That's pretty much what we were doing yesterday on Twitch. It was... <laughs> we, 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 got it at the end. we got it there at the end and it was a fun... It was definitely a fun thing, but yeah. that beginning was rough. <laughs> and, sh and shout out to Rob from World Build With Us who is helping us troubleshoot on the other end. Yeah. Um, so the lesson we learned was whenever you're doing your test stream before your first actual live stream, have someone in the other room listening to it to make sure you're coming through. Because we could hear <laughs> each other fine. Yeah, because it, was, great. because it was coming through our <laughs> Discord. <laughs> so um, so before we get going too, ter too terribly much, going to throw out our socials. Um, if you want to contact us with ideas for a future episode or comments on a past episode, send us an email, undercommontaste at gmail.com, or send us a direct message through our Twitter account, at UCT Homebrew. I'm still doing our Shakespeare and Insult page-a-day calendar-inspired roleplay prompts six days a week. Six because the weekend is all on one page. So, I only have six pages a week. Um, all those prompts are also cross-posted to our Instagram and Facebook accounts at Undercommon Taste. We're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash Undercommon Taste. That's where all of our write-ups go, both our free and our uh, Patreon patron-exclusive uh, write-ups. Uh, our most recent patron-exclusive write-up was for the Asura, which is a chaotic good creature 
kind of the chaotic good uh, equivalent of the angels in second and third edition. Uh, they haven't really come up through to fifth edition, so we decided to go ahead and bring them into fifth edition, give them a stat block, and also give you a player option of the Asurin Azamar uh, subrace. So the variants to the ASMR class for an ASMR that would be coming from uh, from an Asura as opposed to a Diva or an Angel. Um, We're also on Discord. You can find the link to our Discord in the show notes. So come on over and give us a shout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, again, this has been very much a learning process for us. Uh, we plan to do a little bit more with our Twitch streams in the future, probably spread that into YouTube. Uh, we'll talk about some of the things we're planning for the future. This is kind of a state of the podcast type podcast, which is good to have every now and again. Yeah. One of the things we want to do is when we actually have our interview guests on, we are going to try to do this also in a visual medium as well. Um, it does help increase visibility. Strangely enough, people do like that visual medium um, aside from just solely an audio medium. So we want that on so you can kind of see stuff. We might actually do some play testing with some modules we're hoping to make up in the future. Um, I'm going to use the Blizzard term soon-ish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh. But yeah, we do have stuff planned that we want to bring up. And so this is us trying to grow and and further perfect what we're doing. And, and we do address all that in the stream that's coming up right after this. <laughs> yes. So... Um, the one thing, one thing that I did want to touch on that I forgot to mention during the stream is that we are taking the last two weeks of December off. Um, so there will be no episode on the 22nd or the 29th. Um, our episode for December 8th is going to be Andrew and Thomas from Lords of Galapay Games. Galapay, not Galapay. I made that mistake <laughs> in, in, in the recording. Um talking about their game trail of heroes uh on december 15th we're going to do sort of a holiday special uh we're still figuring out the details of that we're probably going to be talking about different christmas characters from from popular uh from popular culture um talking about how to you know bring them into your game if you want to do a christmas or holiday themed uh one shot game at your at your game table um, not necessarily Christmas. We can we can definitely look at some other cultures as well. Um, though I am, I grew up Christian, so I so so, so Christmas is what, what I know. Be. I mean, we're we're immersed here in, in good old Middle America, you know. Oh yeah, we're we're, uh, we're, we're, we're smacking south, but... the Bible Belt. We're smacking the, yeah. the Bible Belt. We are the buckle of the Bible Belt. <laughs> so um, that's so, it. Uh, I, I do know if we do this, Krampus will be making a, a visit. Yeah, uh, there will be some Germanic lore. There'll probably be some Mediterranean lore. Uh, that's just cultural influences for Ian and I both. Um, I'm sure I can dredge up some other stuff. If you want to throw in some, if you want to hop on our Twitter, uh, throw in some ideas. You know, we'd be happy to take those and see what we can work with as well. Yeah, I'm going to be putting up a poll uh, a little bit later this week, so that. So that we have some uh, some listener feedback on what you want to hear in that episode, and then otherwise you're getting sugar cookies and americana. <laughs> absolutely, uh, and then 20, the 22nd and the 29th we're taking off, and we're going to come back January 5th, 2022, 
with the with part one of our Carceri episodes, and that'll be a two-parter like the rest of them in this current batch, and then that'll finish out our Chaos side, and then we're going to throw up another poll to see what order you want us to take the Law side for... Uh, see here. Let me see if I can get it right this time. Arc- <laughs> Arcadia, Bitopia, Gehenna, and Akron. Woohoo, you got them. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, these will be the last of our four outer planes that we'll be doing. Uh, our Modron March is just about finished. We have a couple other kind of side venues that don't really fit anywhere that we definitely want to include, so we'll have a handful of extra ones. And right. then after that... Um, we're going to be on to some different arcs and topics. We've really, really enjoyed doing these planescapes. Uh, it's been a ton of fun. Yeah. And we talk about that in the stream too. So without further ado, let's get you to the stream. Woo, time warp. Now that we have all of that, all of that out of the way. <laughs> Learning has happened. Learning has happened. All right. Um, so... Before we get going too far, the sound that I always end up muting my mic for, but I'm not going to bother right now, the <laughs> refilling of the teacup. Yes. And uh, a hello to Zensational as well. So awesome. Thank you again. Welcome to our, our Twitch stream as we, I think, I think we got most of the kinks out. Not kink shaming, but they've totally got to go. <laughs> I will kink shame OBS all day long. <laughs> Yes, that is Re. That is our friend oh, Re. Awesome. I have not seen you on on that tag before, so awesome welcome and hello. Yes. So so we will totally yeah, we will totally kink shame things because Re knows us, so yeah. So, so for <laughs> so for anyone who has been listening for a while and remembers when I mentioned like in episode five, talking about my player that made her sorcerer, her half elf sor- half orc sorcerer. And I ended up killing them in the first round of combat. Uh, Re, who just joined chat, that was the player. Right. So, so yes, I, I still feel a little bit bad about that. <laughs> I, I kind of, I'm a little sad. I, I missed that thing. We've played several games together. Re is actually a very fun player to to play with. So, um, yeah, and, and Re, going Re through all the, that. Re is the reason I know anything about Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah, Re, Re is definitely our, our go-to on VTM, absolutely. I yeah. had a little bit of experience with White Wolf games, um, particularly with uh, the Vampire Masquerade game that came out for PC, I want to say around 2000 or so. And then I had heard a little bit about a tabletop before that, but most of that definitely from from Sensational or, or Re, as she wants to be called. All right, so we actually have a question in chat. Rob has asked us, what is our favorite Fae and why? Oh. Do you want to start off on that one? I'm trying to think. As far as D&D lore itself goes, I have a hard time because, again, there's a lot of Fae in the Fae Wild, and a lot of my Fae lore comes from not D&D. Uh, as it were, I'd probably go with some of the lycanthropes, just because, by and large, I like lycanthropes as a monster and as as a player. So, as we talked about the Feywilds, you do have the uh, Forgotten Wood that kind of lays between summer and winter as well. Well, 
So there's a bit of a nocturne element there. There's a bit of balance. Um, says it, kind of, it says it doesn't have to be shackled to D&D. Okay, it doesn't have to be shackled in D&D. Um, trying to go through and think. I, I Again, going with the lycanthropes, I like... I like more of the winter court fey. I like a lot of the wild court, you know, the kind of those in between that don't belong to any set specific ones. I can't come up with a name right off the top of my head. Um, if anything, I love the Seder pan from Pan's Labyrinth. Absolutely love that one. If you want some good, like non, non-typical American fey lore, Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo, Guillermo, I can, Guillermo I can't del Toro. Yeah, I'm totally going to blank on his name now. I'm totally going to butcher it. But I love that film. Absolutely love it. Um, tons of fey lore. But the satyr from there, absolutely love him. You know, I honestly, I haven't had a whole lot of dealings with fey creatures, even in a D&D context. Um, you know, we did a whole episode on the Feywild, and we, I went and made, you know, three... Well, I did write-ups for five whole fake courts, but I, I don't know. I don't. Hmm. That that's going to be a tricky one for me to. Picking a favorite is hard, and you don't have a lot of individual fae that come out with a name. They're just kind of like a nameless. I like I like fae goblins. Yeah, I really like fae goblins. I don't. I don't really care much for the the traditional D and D goblin, you know, just these little angry green violent things that are, you know, these little horde hordling creatures that are subservient to hobgoblins. I I I am I am thoroughly unimpressed with the goblinoid whole goblinoid set as it is established in D&D lore but I really like the the goblins that are uh, that are featured in various fairy tales um, I, I really like the goblins as depicted in the Dresden Files in Jim Butcher's oh, Dresden Files uh, because the Earl King is my my favorite character in the Dresden Files, bar none. Um, yes. Also, I want to give a quick shout out, Santa Claus Gift. Welcome to our stream. Uh, feel free to join us in chat. I, I will say, as far as named fairies from from the Dresden Files, uh, my wife is a huge fan, of course, of the Major General of the Zalord. Uh, even to the fact that she named her parrotlet Major General Tutu. Um, you will hear in the podcast and probably in the back, and they're actually fairly quiet right now, we do have a fair number of, of avian friends that, that hang out with us. So <laughs> that, that I that are my bane whenever it comes to editing, because <laughs> yes. about a third of my editing time is silencing the birds and the dogs in the background. Absolutely. Um, now, when you first asked the question on our on our Twitter stream, I saw one question that was amazing and it popped up and apparently it wasn't attached exactly to our, our question thread, but I have to ask you this cause this is a great question. Okay. Where would be the worst place to find a mimic? The worst place to find a mimic, um, would, I think would be in the shower. Um, I think that like 
your your shower loofah. <laughs> I think your shower loofah would be the absolute worst mimic. Maybe a toothbrush. Um, because because you shower naked. Yeah. You don't. You intentionally don't bring you know things into the shower with you. You know because I mean even in a D and D setting. You know, if you were in a setting where they had showers, you wouldn't be carrying your armor and your weapons <laughs> into the shower with you because those are the things that you don't want to get wet. So, per- you know, perfectly reasonable. And and that whole shower loofah thing, you know, you grab it and it can, you know, you're not going to notice that it's stuck to your hand whenever you pick it up because you're, it's supposed to be in your hand, right? And then you put your soap on it and then you go and start to, to lather and it's stuck <laughs> and so now not only is it stuck to you and you know going to start eating you but it's also adhered to your hand so because you typically you and I'm gonna I'm gonna make a ge- gross generalization because I wash myself with my dominant hand you're gonna have that loofah in your dominant hand <laughs> So all you've got free is your offhand and whatever is within arm's reach. So that that's that is my that is my answer. It is a loofah in the shower. Fair enough. Uh, sensational comes up with in bed. Again, we're not king shaming. Or well, again, we're, we're going out that some some people might like it. Again, stickiness, lots of draw. I, I don't know. I mean, some some um, people some people sleep naked. I don't. Uh, Rob with World Build with us says an outhouse mimic again. That that could be uh, things. Yeah, see, Zensational says a, a surgery room would be pretty horrible. I was thinking like a mimic in a first aid kit, or you know, the the obvious that happens all the time is the the health potion mimic would both be because you're already kind of hurt and and right. needing help, and then right, you know, insult to injury. Um, kind of the easy answer, but still a real bad. Um, Various, uh, how do I want to phrase this politely? Feminine hygiene products would be a terrible place for a mimic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're we're going to step away from mimics now. On that note, yeah. Let's <laughs> let's, let's step away now. Yeah. Um, and and going back going back to Rob real quick. Um, I don't know enough about Eberron to make a comment on Eber- Eberron goblins. So, I'm going to, I'm going to, de- I'm going to defer to your judgment on uh, Eberron goblins being awesome, and I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, that that is something a lot with with many of the tabletop gamings, and we will focus here primarily on on Dungeons Dragons, and even with that, a heavy focus into Five E because that's what's current and that's what we play mostly. Um, but even within D and D, much less any, you get a smattering. Goblins aren't just D and D lore; they're not just German lore or European lore. They're everywhere, and everyone has a slightly different version of the same thing. It's kind of like chocolate chip cookies or spaghetti. You know, the 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 generalities are the same, but everyone puts a little bit of different spices or flavoring, and and no one ever makes them quite as good as mom makes it. So they're all a little different. Um, as Ian says, I prefer the goblins from lore versus the straight D and D lore. 
the goblins they had in the last Lord of the Ring and the Hobbit, I thought were abysmal. But the Lord, the goblins they had in the animated uh, Hobbit were amazing. So even something as simple as goblins, you get so many different flavors. All right. So before we get too far further, um, there were a couple of things that I wanted to talk about uh, with regards to the podcast as a whole. Um, there's a couple of things that we're wanting to do in the coming year. Um, one of the things that we've been doing is uh, is we've been running through the different planes of D&D cosmology. And while that's a whole lot of fun, and while that's something that has gotten a whole lot of positive feedback, that's something that takes an awful lot of time for us to prep um, because there's just because there's so much stuff there. And that's why, and, and that's why, whenever I was posting recently about uh, about our second episode of Isgard and referring to it as our three hour tour, it's because the two episodes together are just about three hours. Right. And also coming with that, I mean, we've been doing the planes for a while, so we are almost at the end of our Modron march, as it were. Yeah, we've got we've got five left. We've got Carcerai, which is going to be at the beginning of the new year. And then we've got the four lawful aligned planes. So you got Bitopia, see here, Bitopia, Gehenna, Akron, and Arcadia. And Arcadia is the one that I'm really excited about. <laughs> and of course, it's the one I couldn't, couldn't remember the name of. But. We, we've got that, and then we've got a couple more that we're wanting to do. We're going to do one on the Underdark and one on the Far Realms, because we call ourselves Undercommon Taste, and we haven't actually talked about the Underdark yet <laughs> in, any, in any real meaningful context. Just a fun twist of fate on that one. Yeah. Um, but So we've got that. That's something that's going to be wrapping up in the new year. Um, but uh, One of the things that I'm really excited about trying to do is uh, bringing in some uh, some DMs and some world builders that are doing different podcasts or that are you know running actual play games bringing them in to talk to them about specific uh, specific themes of running the game um, one of the one of the ones that one of the people who have already got agreed to come on is uh, Kate from from the podcast of Mice and Men and Monsters, who you may have heard their promo at the beginning of the episode. Um, I've I've been listening to that podcast for a while. I love it. Uh, she is an English teacher, a high school English teacher, as a day job, and then she runs the game for the podcast. And so we're going to have her on to talk about doing literary adaptations. So a adapting uh, classic literature into a D&D context, how to, how, oh, to how to bring that in, how to work that in. That's going to be so much fun. Yes, because that's that's the whole premise of the show. So, right. So that's that's why I'm wanting to bring her in to talk about that. Um, and that that leads us to the other thing we are going to work on is I've seen many people, aside from the literary adaptations, but people are like, I want to make a game kind of based on this story or, or this movie or this film. And that's one of the things we also want to do is how to how to make those films. So, like, 
what would the villains NPCs, what would their stat blocks be or what would their classes be? How would you how would you flesh out your characters to run that? Because while your characters are the heroes, you still have your everyone else is going to be an NPC and pretty much at the whim and control of the DM. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, James, you had something that you were wanting to talk about as well. Yeah, so I, there was that, uh, by and large. Uh, that was the big thing. The other thing, um, I'm blanking. I know one of the projects that Ian and I are going to be working on in the future is actually we might have something uh, writable up that we're going to be working on an actual uh, play model for, for groups and things. Um, I am missing... My prompt. We have discussed so many things, and just the chaos thing. My mind's kind of gone blank um, for now. So, so, so to to prompt <clears throat> you as to what we were talking about before we started, <laughs> your talk about how to put things together for homebrews. Yeah. So again, as we're going to do so for, I, I was mentioning that. So with the homebrews for for as movies, films, different characters, how to how to assemble those, how to get those to run properly. Um, themes for, again, as, as we have other people talking, themes for, for running the table as well. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so those are some of the things that you have to look forward to in the coming year. Um, we're still going to be doing, you know, just general topics. Um, we we are our inbox is still open. So if you have something that you want us to do, drop us an email under common taste at gmail.com or send us a direct message through our Twitter account at UCT Homebrew. And we if it you know if it isn't horrendously offensive, we'll probably do it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean it it's all about experience and that is one of the great things with having an audience and reaching out is even just questions asked can be something that Ian and I or, you know, our circle of friends wouldn't have considered. So it makes us stop and kind of reevaluate things and kind of regauge things, which is for me, it's always good fun. I love, I love brainstorming. I enjoy world building. I love taking things that seem common and every day and looking at it from a slightly different lens. Uh, just for the pure mental exercise. I think that's great. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, Where are we going now? <laughs> Chaos for new. Chaos for um, As you can tell, we, we scripted all of this. Every absolutely. Last bit of this is so, yeah. Again, unfortunately, leading up to this, we had it kind of planned. Life has gone absolutely crazy. It's been the holidays. Um, I'm mid-move, so that's a weird thing. Um, yeah, Ian we, has, we were, has we a toddler so running around the house that, that requires planning and effort. <laughs> you you were supposed to be in your new recording room by now. Yeah, again, so you get you get the old house. Hopefully next time we record, the background will be a little different. We're we're keeping our fingers crossed. Yeah. All right. Of of the new D&D books, which one are you most excited to see or which one have you enjoyed most? Cuz they've uh we're at the end of the year, so they've released everything for 2021. And they've everything, had some hints for stuff everything for except Strixhaven. Yes. Strixhaven hasn't come out yet. Okay. At the at least at the time of recording. I think it's coming out in the early, early, early December. Gotcha. It, it got pushed back because everything having to do with books is off. delayed. Yeah. <laughs> as as someone who works for a book publisher, <laughs> I know. 
we we had a book that was sitting at the printer ready to go into catalog for a little over a month because the because it's it's a kids book which means it's a kids picture book which means that it's on special weight paper and the paper was sitting on a ship in the harbor in LA for that whole time Ugh. because it was waiting its turn to offload so but yes, were all the pictures there because we don't want to have the same issue we had in elf Ah, well. <laughs> but anyway, the the book that I am most excited about, the one that I have been waiting for for like four years, is this one, which is currently backwards, but it is Fizzbands. I've, I, I've been I, waiting for a dragon book for four years. I love Fizzbin as a character. Um, he is from the Dragonlance novels. Absolutely one of my favorite. You know, right under Rastlin again. He's he is the the literal polar opposite of Rastelin. Um Well, not quite polar opposite. Rastelin definitely would be uh, neutral evil where, where Fizzman would be more lawful good because um, he is the, the plat- Palladium Dragon. Platinum. But abs- platinum? Yeah, Platinum Dragon, correct. Absolutely love that story. Love that. Um, again, a dragon book too. I, am, I have not got my hands on that book yet. I am very much looking forward to that one. Yeah, I've, I've just been... Because, because the Dragonomicon, the Dragonomicon was a big book for me in third edition. Okay, it 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 cemented a lot of the the thought process that thought processes that I had when it came to running a game in third edition. Um, because it's dragons. It, I mean, it's in the title of the game. <laughs> you have to have dragons in order to play Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Otherwise, it's just dungeons. Nothing wrong with just dungeons, but we do like the dragons. Yeah. Um. But so that's that's one that I've been that I've been really looking forward to, and there's there's a lot of the dragons that have been in previous editions that have been brought into fifth edition in Fizzbends. They've added a couple of new ones. There's a few that are missing. That I that I was kind of hoping would make it in, but, uh, but I'm I'm by and large happy with the selection that they've given us, um, and I I like the the focus a, the, a little bit of the focus on the lore at least in the very beginning of the book, um especially going through and talking about Sardior, the the ruby dragon. Right. Um and the the whole the whole mythos behind uh the thought that you know Bahamut and Tiamat together created Sardior and then Bahamut and Sardior worked together to create all of the metallic dragons and Tiamat and Sardior worked together to create all of the chromatic dragons. Okay. And then whenever the first world, as it was, was sundered and created the multiverse, as as is depicted in D&D today, Sardior, Sardior's body was shattered. And one of the thoughts is that the gem dragons were born from the shards of Sardior's body. Okay. As, as I mean- it was cast across the multiverse at the sundering of the first world. Right, and I can totally follow that lore, and I love, I love getting to dive into those bits of lore. I love that they include those with these books. Yeah. 
Um, that was one of the harder things I've, I had to learn as I've learned how to read the D&D books is generally, oh, I just want to see the stats. You start reading the stat blocks and you're like, okay, I'm done. But there's so much interspersed with those. If you take the time to read the little sidebars and paragraphs and things like that, you really can get a lot more out of those books than it doesn't read like a storybook, obviously, but it's all there. Right. Yeah. Um, which, excuse me, which leads into a bit of headcanon that I have developed. I was listening to the interview with James Wyatt uh, on Dragon Talk, talking about, you know, Sardior and the First World and all of all of that mytho- all that mythos um, in the lead up to Fizzbin's release. And while I was listening to that interview and the things that he was saying about the way that it was working and how there, there are certain dragon cults that are seeking to return to that unified first world. Um, it got me thinking about all of the lore that we have researched and that we have brought into the podcast over the course of our trek through the plains, and it has created this big headcanon that I've got going on. Um, so, stepping back, this is pulling stuff from 2nd edition, 3rd edition, and now 5th edition. Some of this stuff may have been retconned, some of this may no longer actually be canon, but I like the way that it all fits together, so I'm going to just spew it. Um, so as we as we explained early on, uh, whenever we were talking about our when we when we were going through the nine hells of Bator and we were talking about Asmodeus, Asmodeus was originally a Coatl god, the the binary partner with Jazirian, who is still in. Uh, Mount Celestia. And Jazirian and Asmodeus had a disagreement with the thought of how the world, how the multiverse should progress. Um, they quarreled. Jazirian ended up casting Asmodeus into the pit that became the Nine Hells. Um, and Asmodeus, as you see him, Whenever you see any of the depictions of him as as a man walking around in his in his stately robes and all of that, that is all just a projection, because Asmodeus proper is this giant coatl god laying underneath that fortress, miles beneath, uh, where he is slowly trying to knit his body back together. Um, which is a very difficult task because the only sustenance that Asmodeus can take to actually knit his body back together are the souls of true atheists. Not atheists as in they choose not to acknowledge and worship the gods. True atheists in the sense that they don't know the gods exist. And because in D&D cosmology, the gods draw their power from their worshippers, they have gone to great lengths to proselytize across the multiverse to get as many followers as they can, because more followers, more power. Which makes it very difficult 
to have a sapient race that has no concept of the gods' existence. Right. I mean, throughout D&D lore and cosmology, the gods are very, very active, much like they would be with your Greek or Roman or Norse lore generally. Um, again, the, the gods are in their elbow deep and everything mucking it up. Also, um, welcome to another TV viewer. Um, glad to see you here joining us. So, so thank you. Um, we do also with this, a, with our nine hells episode, we, we do dive into these different levels and talking about where Asmodeus is. And Ian also has some more headcanon things that he brings up with maybe how those layers were formed and things like that as well with our podcast. So that's always, you know, a fun dive. Yeah. So one of the things that is mentioned in the books, uh, I think specifically in the third edition manual of the planes is that there is a contract between Asmodeus and Tiamat, which is why Tiamat makes her lair in the first layer of the nine hells, right next to the staircase that leads from Avernus, the first layer into Dis, the second layer. Um, and she stands that vigil to make sure that the demons don't get down into the lower level, the lower layers of the nine hells because by Asmodeus's decree, there are no portals from outside of the nine hells that lead past the first layer. They all open onto the first layer. There are no portals from the first layer further down. There, there are, there are portals between the layers two through nine or two through eight, I should say. Um, but there are no, there's no way to magically transport yourself from outside of the nine hells or from the first layer of the nine hells anywhere further down. Uh, so Tiamat stands that guard over that one entry point further down to keep the demons out in the blood war. Um, and the details for why Tiamat willingly stays there because she is a greater God. She is the god of chromatic dragons. She is a very mighty entity. There's really no reason why she should be there. She's not stuck there. She is there by choice. She is there by choice. And whenever this, whenever Fizbins came out, and they're talking about this whole cults that are trying to restore this first world, restore this you know, this united universe as opposed to the multiverse and the various cosm the various planes of the cosmology, um, return it to a single unified universe where the dragons are the dominant race once again. And also just a, a quick shout out, uh, hello to Candy Est as as you join in. Uh, if you have questions, what we're bringing up, Ian's going through some headcanon with D and D. Um, if you've got any questions or ideas, just please jump into chat and yeah, feel free. Yeah. Um, so, excuse me. Um, so <laughs> the, the thought that started running through my head is, well, obviously Tiamat would want this because she is lawful evil. And in D and D alignment terms, evil is 
more or less synonymous with selfishness. So she would want a world where she would be she would have her power consolidated. She wouldn't be having to share with all of these other gods because if they united the multiverse back to where it was before it was sundered, most of the humanoid races would cease to exist and their gods would cease to exist with them. Right. That is one thing I would love to do an episode with you on is the different factions that want to, in one form or another, bring back the the primordial universe or the primordial worlds. Because I think just going through the different layers and levels, we've we've touched upon three or four different factions that want to revert the world back, but each in their own image and for their own reasons. Right. And we also discussed in that Nine Hells episode that Asmodeus wants a very similar thing. Asmodeus is trying to repair his body so that he can... Basically, he can gather up his power, which was dispersed throughout the lower planes as a result of his fall. He wants to reconstitute himself so that he can basically hit the reset button on the multiverse and recreate the multiverse in his own image. And then... As it should be. (laughs) Oh, my image. I'm sorry. (laughs) And then, by contrast... You know, Bahamut being the lawful good god that he is would likely not be okay with this. Very likely, yes. He, you know, he <laughs> he understands that this first world has come and gone, that these other races, these other sapient races are here and that they deserve to exist, and that by re basically resetting, re-originating the universe, billions if not trillions of sapient lives will be erased. Right. And so he's probably not okay with that, which is why he actively uh, works to thwart the efforts of the dragon cults of Tiamat and, and all of that sort of stuff. Right. Um, now, I, I do find it interesting that throughout D&D lore, you will find, at the very least, the devils and the dragons via Tiamat and everything else tend to work together, but you don't really see that with the Aesir and the um, metallic dragons as much, if at all, really. Um, there may be some, some snippets of lore I've missed, but as far as the, the good-aligned creatures go... Um, they're not as homogenous, you'd say. They're not kind of all on the same page. Where you see more of that coordination and cohesion, definitely with, which, not with the necessarily the chaotic creatures, but definitely with the evil creatures. I I wouldn't go so far as to say that with the dragons and the devils, uh, because that is something that you have between. That is an agreement between Asmodeus and Tiamat. That is not an agreement between devils and dragons. Well, I mean, because you've got the you've got the two head honchos for both both pages sitting there. Yeah, Those but, under them are going to follow. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> but what you but what if that were the case? 
then okay. then the blood war would have already been won because you wouldn't have you would have rigid obedience with all of the devils exactly adhering to the will of Asmodeus. Fair but they, enough. But they okay. don't. They they have they have infighting. They have factional disputes. You know they're constant. Yes. They're constantly you know looking for ways to backstab one another without violating their obligations. Okay, I, I will I will grant you that as a caveat. Yes. Yeah. So it's it is not as it's not as great of a deal as you think it is. Okay. And because because chromatic dragons chromatic dragons themselves do not cooperate except in very exceptional circumstances. Correct. Um, they are very individualist. They are very selfish. And that, that is, again, going off of their evil alignment. Evil and selfishness are two sides of the same coin in terms of D&D alignment, whereas good and selflessness are opposite sides of the same coin on the other side of the spectrum. I can totally get behind that, yeah. Um, but anyway, so... My headcanon is that the contract between Tiamat and Asmodeus is that Tiamat provides the security necessary for Asmodeus to work his workings to try and reoriginate the universe. That she is in on the big deal. Yeah. I could totally see that. Um, again, the question is, is, if she's on the big deal and they do that reworking, it, as you brought up, how would uh, Bahamut work with that? And then, too, because would we revert back to just the original two dragons being the center of everything and maybe a creation of a third multiverse at that point? Here's where it gets fun. Okay. So Asmodeus has this artifact that he carries around that he uses as a an object of great power called the that is completely called, <laughs> called the ruby rod um no relation to the fifth element james uh, but we're green <laughs> <laughs> yeah so but my my headcanon is that the ruby rod is a fragment of sardior that makes absolute sense and i mean I have, there's nothing I could think that would like detract from that. That makes so very much sense that I'm surprised that's not official lore. And, and because of that, no, because Sardior was of a power level with Bahamut and Tiamat. So we are talking greater God level here. Um, so a fragment of a greater God would have enough power to do all of the crazy things that the Ruby rod artifact does. Um, yeah. Again, that makes a ton of sense. Um, that also leads, as we talked about earlier, some of the gym dragons, which was brought up in Fizzbins. Um, I, I would kind of almost want to see if some of those fragments may, might be part of the diamond that uh, leads up to the ice queen as well. And some of the other four, like the frost maiden uh, lore, 
I could see that as well, that these rods aren't necessarily all, you know, they may have changed over time, but with that ruby rod being part of the ruby dragon, yeah, that fits amazingly well. And and so what he is doing is he has given up on trying to actually repair his body because the souls are so few and far between that he is effectively at a standstill on that front. So instead, what he's doing is he is figuring out a way to infuse the ruby rod into infuse himself into it or it into himself and basically in his reset embody the ruby dragon that would be amazing so he would in fact be he the ruby would, dragon he would become the ruby dragon I love whenever that. everything gets put back together and I think just that right there would be a great campaign to start to find the fragments of the ruby dragon and maybe end up you know especially when you're higher level 17 18 19 20 um going down and fighting asmodeus for that last large chunk yeah so that's my head cannon no i love that and again it fits so well and it leads to possible mechanics for stories for arcs um again you've got you know, the term MacGuffin, which which kind of doesn't give it proper credence, but it's totally a MacGuffin. Yes. But putting these things together, you could delve into a ton of lore, make up lore where you, where you need to kind of patch it together. So you have a lot of storytelling. Um, if you're the kind of DM that gets to storytell with, with your party members, depending how they play, um, it gives them a large overarching story. Or even if you just, hey... You got to find the ruby, whatever, you know, giant ruby. So you need like a a quick two or three session campaign. You could branch that real short. Um, These are some of the things we want to do. As life on our end calms down, we have through our podcast branched and and discussed several scenarios and campaigns that we would like to start to, to pull together officially. And we're hoping, hoping, crossing our fingers, that eventually we can get some of these modules down official maybe put them out into into uh the dmg or the dungeon master guild or drive through rpg or something like that because the possibilities for a lot of these stories i think people would just love and we'd love to be able to get those out to you yes that would be an ideal world (laughs) (laughs) um so um I am looking for something that I should have pulled up before we got started. Uh, That's just how it goes. That is just how um, it goes. <laughs> so, so, James, stall. Yeah, so, you know, uh, things we like, again, talking about those lures. Um, one of the first things we did that we kind of pulled together, one of our earlier episodes was early last year for Halloween. We did Monster Mash, so we did a quick one-off for a hag town dealing with um, a hag coven. That was a lot of fun. Um, some things we've talked about, uh, we definitely want to get some Wild campaigns up. Uh, D&D, they have finally put out some decent Fae-themed books, but even still, the Wild kind of gets left behind, unfortunately. And there can be a ton, a ton of stories for the Fae, even branching just purely Wild. if you kind of want to do urban fantasies. Again, Ian and I are both huge fans of Jim Butcher, so a lot of his work kind of influences our ideas and imagination. Um, 
especially anything, especially in terms of the Fey. Yeah, uh, things with deep lore. Uh, going through some of the lore I learned just within this past year is, and this goes back, but stuff I'd missed is the ongoing war between the dragons and giants. That could be a wonderful, wonderful arc. You could go either going with a Goliath party or just humans interacting between the two. Um, Planescape adventures just everywhere as we've gone through these different realms. Uh, doing an old, I think it was, was it second edition or third edition where they actually put out a Modron March module? That was in third edition. Third edition. 3.5. That's something that definitely needs to come back just because the Mojon March is so, so much fun, particularly if you just want to see everything around you. Like these Mojons are these like little, little robotic creatures that march and they all just get slaughtered and they keep marching on no matter what, because their mission is to go through and survey all of the planes. And at the end, a, a, a large number of them or at least a good handful of them make it all the way through. But if you were trying to like follow this thing, the amount of chaos that these things would like horrible creatures as people, these creatures would come up against and the Modrons are just like meh and just walking into the whirling blades and not caring. So I mean, just so much fun you could have with these things. It's just carnage everywhere. Yes. Yeah. The, the module was specifically around the rogue March um, because that was when uh, Orcus moved into Mechanus, killed the Primus of the Modrons, sat down in the pool, and basically took control of the Modrons and sent them out into the multiverse looking for the Wand of Orcus. Yeah, and just done mucked everything up. And now you got Mogrodrons kicking around doing their own thing. Mogrodrons, so huh? Mogrodrons, exactly, because they're no longer, you know, lawful good. They are now chaotic. Uh, <laughs> they were never lawful good. They were lawful neutral. Lawful neutral, that's correct, yes. Yeah. Anyway. Um, anyway, also, uh, a welcome to, um, I'm going to butcher this name, but Snob Tarot. So, Snob Tarot. Anyway, I'm sorry for butchering your name, but <laughs> welcome. If you've got any input or questions, please go ahead and throw them up in chat. Uh, again, we're we're going and just talking about some of the stuff we love and we'd love to see with, with D and D five E later versions, tabletop gamings in general. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's, let's go ahead and start wrapping things up. Uh, we've been, right. we've been on for an hour. So what do you say, James, that we do ourselves a monster mashup here live in front of the cameras? Will it be a graveyard smash? It could be. <laughs> All right. Let me get my dice roller out. All right. So do we do we want to uh, do we want to roll a d20 to see who gets to, to do the first roll? I'll let you do the first one because I got to Like I said, I got to get oh, my dice well, roller fine, out. Then. Or actually, you know what would be fun? If we've got people with us, maybe someone in chat would want to throw, throw a d20 up. Well, what's that going to do? Well, yeah, I guess they would get first. Okay, let's go ahead and roll the 220 because I got my my thing up. So my right. first... Oh, I rolled a natural one. Good I got, job. I got me. an 11, so it's, I, it's get been first, I get the first roll anyway. <laughs> it's been exactly that kind of day. It's been a natural <laughs> one kind of day. <laughs> All right, so first off, a D4 for locomotion. We got a 3, 
which is it burrows. We got another burrowing creature going on here. Okay. Um, we get a lot of burrowing creatures. We get a lot of swimming creatures. So I'm good to see we got we got something terrestrial now. Snowbar Tarot. Oh, excellent! Thank you so very much again. Um, I am terrible at pronouncing names. Thank you. <laughs> All right, James, give me a D6. Okay, D6 coming up. Let me see here. Shaky, shaky the die. I've got a four. A four. It eats fruits and vegetables. Okay, so we got we got generally an herbivore. So this this should be kind of fun. Yep. Uh, so we're making moles. So far, yeah. <laughs> or oh, are they going to be like the, the ugly naked moles with the like naked the weird mole rats. faces? Yeah, those things are awesome. <laughs> Could also be badgers, perhaps. Though I think badgers are more uh, predatory or omnivorous. Yeah, they're more omnivorous. Um, Rufus, so- exactly. Yes, they 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 are going to be Rufus or maybe a Rouse. <laughs> uh, so uh, next up was a D eight for size. I got a three, which is small. Okay, so these are not going to be rodents of an unusual size. Oh, so yeah, they could be because you know halflings are small. Oh, fair point. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is a halfling sized creature. So, so we still so might gonna, have a rouse. Yeah. So it's going to be like three feet tall, <laughs> standing up on his back legs. Um. All right. So give me another D eight roll, James. All right, shaky, shaky. We're going to see what its social organization is. Okay, well, to counterbalance that natural one, I got I got an eight on the D eight. So oh boy, these things are a horde creature. Oh, I love them. Hundred plus. Oh yeah, so so we've got like the weird goblinoid rat kobolds. Uh, yeah, kobolds, not kobolds, but uh, gnolls. There we go. Uh, <laughs> they're 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 smaller than gnolls because gnolls are are humanoid size. They're like are they home? Yeah, okay. they're like six seven feet tall. I'm picturing kind of like the the wow kobold where it's kind of rat got the candle on its head. Yeah. You know, take candle. Yeah. You know, take candle. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. yes. And um, snowbar's right there with us. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So next up is going to be a D10 for the number of limbs. Six. We got six limbs. Okay, so, I mean, these could be kind of insectoid. They could be, uh, what was the name of that creature? It was one of the end bosses for Mortal Kombat. Garen? It wasn't Ganon. It was blah. But he had the four, well, the four super muscular arms. Yeah. yeah, that dude. Or they could be winged, perhaps. I, I like the thought of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, vestigial wings. Okay. I like the thought of that. Okay. Um, so maybe they were once like a, a sea swimming creature and they learned to burrow instead. Uh, yeah, I could, I could see that. Okay. Uh, Snowbird's got, it's making me think of a herbivore version of tree cats from the Honorverse books. I'm not familiar with Honorverse. I'm not either, but like a tree cat would be kind of cool. I could see that where they'd need some wings for like some gliding or something like that. Yeah. Or, or kind of like plugging our write-ups, uh, kind of like the Ratatosk, which are flying squirrel people. Yes. Oh, what if they lived like in a canyon so they burrow, and if they burrowed out of like a canyon wall, they can glide into the next canyon wall and start burrowing through. I, I like it. I like yes. it. Yes. 
So they're kind of like a deserty type creature, maybe which, so far. Which explains why they burrow to get out of the heat of the sun. Yeah. Okay. And, and you know they have to go go down to find you know water. They they're they're feeding off of the roots of these plants that go very deep to to reach the water, the water okay. table. Yeah. So they've got like a CH, like we're we're gonna reference some Dune here. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. No, I like that. Yeah, no, I'm liking. I'm liking. I love how these just kind of form by imagination. They start to kind of coalesce. Yeah, I I like where this is going. I like where this is going. Um, so James, give me a D12 roll for method of All defense. Right. All right, let's get something good. Ready? Ready. So we got. We got a three. A three. It's got a venomous bite. I'm okay with this. Yeah. Maybe maybe some of the plants it eats are toxic, and so like natural. Excuse me. It's like one of the sea slugs where they, they pick up the, the venom and toxins from the things they eat. Right. So guess, yeah. that, or, yeah. or it could just be straight poison glands either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, again, given our, given our location, we're in the desert. There are lots of venomous things in the desert. <laughs> yeah, we got, we got poison moles. <laughs> yes. Um, Snowball also brings up that the cliffside burrowing would also help avoid the sun. So yeah, again, that's that all ties in. So we've definitely got... Um, is it Utah where you've got the great arch type things? Obviously, yeah. the Painted Desert, Arizona. Yeah, that's uh, I think that's Zion National Park out there. Yeah, in Utah. yeah. I got that whole Wiley Coyote feel going right now. <laughs> yeah. All right. So next up is going to be a D twenty roll for Quirks. We got another eleven, quadruplet size. So it's no longer. <laughs> so it's no longer small. It is now large. All right. Sure, why not? Let's 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 go with it. <laughs> um, so now we've got a variation of a of a land shark, perhaps. Okay, yeah, a a uh, a bullet variant. I can. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, bullets that can fly. Oh my! Or at least Flying glide. Bullets. Or at least <laughs> glide. Yeah. Yeah, but it's still it's still again uh, it's still a herb uh, an herbivore. So yeah, yeah, that brings up a great point. I'm trying to think. Um, Again, these could be various life stages as well. We've done that with a couple of, the, of our monster mashups, but I'm I'm seeing this as being a bit more mammalian. Okay. Um, so so the life stages is a little bit less feasible. I mean, if it were if it were more reptilian or um, insectoid, know, insectoid or amphibious. Okay. It, then it would make a little more sense, but I'm. Mm, a burrowing giraffe. That is hilarious because I just see that giant long neck as like a periscope, just kind of boop and like looking around. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like an inverse of the old wives' tale with the ostriches, where they bury exactly. their head in the sand. <laughs> Not exactly. No, I love that. I kind of want to make that part of it. That like it pops its head up and kind of checks its surroundings, and then kind of goes back and burrows. <laughs> so, so it's like a so it's like an oversized meerkat. Yeah, like right now, I, I I hate to say it, but we've got Bugs Bunny with wings. Bugs Bunny with his winged helmet that actually flies. <laughs> yeah. Yes, with the spear oh. magical helmet. Oh god! All right, all right. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so now is the time where we make it weird. Uh, so James, give me a D one hundred roll. Let's see what what nightmare fuel we can concoct with this. I'm seeing an eight. An eight. 
um, can mimic 1d20 sounds, including voices slash words. Again, I'm still seeing Bugs Bunny on this one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We've created Bugs Bunny, boys and girls. Oozing pustules. I don't know if that's on our chart or not, but it should be. Um, there are. See here. There's something on the uh, methods of defense that can probably be become that. Um, I can. I can always. Mod- I, mean, we can, mod- I can modify yeah. something later on. Yeah. That is a great idea, though, Snowbar. That's something I hadn't considered. That would be. Yeah. Great idea. All right, and now because we like to do two, because chaos woohoo, thirty-seven is capable of surviving in extreme temperatures. I think we've already established that. Yeah. Uh, I, again, I'm still seeing Bugs Bunny with the abominable snowman and needing to take that left turn at Albuquerque. I, I really think we rolled D and D Bugs Bunny on this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it burrows, it eats fruits and vegetables, so it's it's constantly gnawing on its giant carrot. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's perpetual <laughs> it's perpetual carrot. Um, it was small in size, but it is now large in size. Um, it congregates in hordes of a hundred plus individuals, which is. Absolutely terrifying. I'm, that how is, how yeah. in the world are we going to even sustain that population? <sighs> magic. It's D and D. Just just yeah. call it magic. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, it has six limbs. Uh, two of them are vestigial wings that it can use to glide, but it can't actually fly with them anymore. So they they were winged rabbits. Yeah. Uh, so. Oh my it? god. The rabbit, the rabbit plagues from Australia, where they took over everything. Yes, yeah, pretty much. That's that's exactly what's happening here. They they're just they're just swarming across the countryside, eating everything that's vegetation. Yep. Uh, Snowbar says Warrens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so now I'm seeing some uh, Watership Down stories. Okay. Yeah. Uh, see here, it has a venomous bite. It can mimic sounds, including voices, and it can survive in extreme temperatures. Uh, so in this case, it's going to be extreme heat because we have decided to put it in a desert. I'm good with that. So yeah, we, we did wind up with our rodents of a very unusual size, um, kind of a, a plague of bunnies. Yeah, so we have 10 foot tall, giant flying, giant gliding rabbits. That will literally eat you out of house and home. They will. Yes. They will come and eat your house. I mean, it's technically vegetation, yeah. So I mean, they won't bother the party members too much, um, unless they try to like poke at them because they do have that venomous bite. Uh, yeah, this would be a very fun thing to throw on the table. I'm not sure exactly when or where I would throw this on the table. Um, but yeah, I can. I would make this. I would I would probably end up making this on the low low end of the CR spectrum, probably in the CR one half to one area. You know, okay. on, on 
about on par with like a giant spider. Um, yeah, I could see that. Um, Snowbar had something, you know, Burrow and Nick Clapson the party. If you check out some of our D and D podcasts, we actually had something similar uh, that we called a uh, what was it? The, the the Grove Digger. Yeah, the Grove Digger that that would live in a druid grove and it would dig trenches around the trees it was eating. Um, that would collapse the trees on party members. That was a a really really fun one to make. And I used it. I used that in a game, and it went oh, it, smashingly. Excellent. I, I wish I could have been there for that yeah. game. Was that the game with with uh, Zen? Yes. Oh, perfect. Yes, it was. She she ended up up a tree, if I recall correctly, <laughs> and was was the only one not hit whenever it exploded at the end. Oh well, I mean. <laughs> You're kind of above ground zero, just above. So I guess it's a safe place. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was, yeah, that, that was in our episode with moth, with moth profit. Yes. Uh, resistance is futile. So if you want to go back and check that episode out, you should, because the things we talked about in that episode were great. Yeah, that was a lot. That was a really, really fun episode. Um, again, as we start to kind of wrap this one up, We've been podcasting for a while. Check us out. We're on Twitter. Uh, we're going to be using the Twitch a bit more. We're not going to do our every podcast on Twitch, but as we have interviews, um, we're going to try to have the interviewees here so you can kind of see and maybe get some direct questions with them, which we really hope to to bring out. Uh, we're going to bring more to you. We might eventually might do some, some actual table stuff eventually uh, yeah. in the future. Yeah, I would like uh, in the future, whenever we... Because we are planning, working on some modules. Um, my hope is that once we start getting some modules put together, excuse me, whenever we go to actually put them up on the DMs Guild or on Drive Through RPG, more likely Drive Through RPG, um, that we might get some friends on and live stream us running that module so that you can see what we're put together. Right, kind of do some playtesting and whatnot. Yeah, that would be great. Um, you know, I've I've been working on my own TTRPG for a while now. It is still a good ways away from actual alpha testing, but eventually, I'm hoping to you know get something finished and out that we can playtest here. So, um, working working title is Post Apocalyptia. It was inspired by Fallout. Um, and I decided to try and make it intellectually distinct <laughs> so that <laughs> so that I don't have to worry about cease and desist letters from uh, Zenimax. That's always a plus. Um, especially now that there is the official... Uh, well, I had the book right here. Yeah, I saw you grab that when you, were, you took a, a trip somewhere. You yes. were able to grab that. Yeah, whenever... Uh, Back at the beginning of October, when we went to Indianapolis for my wife's cousin's wedding, that now exists. Now I do have to say, have they they streamlined the rules? Because I remember you were kind of testing that when they had things more or less in beta. Yes, and the rules were clunky, and that's yes, that's being they, polite. <laughs> yes, uh, the 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 rules are fairly compared to that. It is very streamlined. Very nice. Um, I found a live stream where they're running the game, and I can't for the life of me remember where it is. 
I'll try and find it and put the link in the show notes whenever okay. this whenever this comes out on Wednesday. Awesome. Um, but yes, so it started off as a Fallout pen and paper. It started off as a homebrew variant of a homebrew variant of the canceled <laughs> Fallout pen and paper game. Um, and it just ended up getting morphed to the point where it was no longer Fallout. And I'm okay with that. Um, it is it is still baseline post-nuclear apocalypse. But it is n- post-apocalypse without the retro-futurist 50s vibe. Okay. Uh, so, working title, like I said, working title is Post-Apocalyptia, and I'm working on that. Uh, trying to trying to modify that. It is a blended D10, D100 system. Uh, basically, if you are if you are attacking someone or they are attacking you, it's a D100 and everything else is a D10. And I'm tra- okay. trying to simplify it because it started off pretty complicated and I have been dumbing it down <laughs> as I go uh, as as I realize, yeah, I can I can make this simpler. Right. So, yeah, that's eventually, hopefully, we'll have something together that we can put out and uh, we would be able to do play tests here of that. Awesome. Well, Snowbar, thank you for joining us. Uh, Rob from World Build With Us, thank you. Zen, thank you so very much. Um, we hope to come back, see you guys on Twitch some more. Uh, we will definitely see you again uh, via podcast, uh, again, under common taste. Uh, you'll find our podcast wherever you find your podcast. So again, just your, your whatever podcast catcher you use, just under common taste, will be there. All right. And the, and the default boilerplate is... Uh... So if you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, please send us an email at undercommontaste at gmail.com or send us a direct message through our Twitter account at UCT Homebrew. I'm still doing our Shakespeare and Insult Page a Day calendar inspired roleplay prompts six days a week. They go on the and they go on the Twitter account, and then they get cross-posted to the Instagram and Facebook accounts at undercommontaste. We are on Patreon, patreon.com slash undercommontaste, where we put all of our write-ups, both the free and our patron exclusive. So if you want to help support the show financially, please go over there and consider becoming a patron. We are also on Discord, so we will have a link to the Discord in our show notes, uh, and we have it in our link tree. So if you go to our Twitter account or Instagram account, and in our bio we have our link tree, you can click on that and go to the Discord link and join us in Discord. Yeah, um... As always, please give us a rating and a review. This helps increase our visibility. It lets us know what you want to hear more of. Um, also, lets us, you know, helps us when we're trying to find guests and stuff. We can say, hey, look, we're not two schmucks on the internet, which was our, our first podcast name. We actually have a going concern here. So we, it does help us bring you content. We are still two schmucks, two on, schmucks the on the internet. This have, is true. <laughs> we, have a little, we have a little bit more in the line of credentials now, but we're still two schmucks on the internet. And we will always be two schmucks on the internet. <laughs> All right. So thank you everybody very much for joining us. Thank you to the few of you who came out and joined us in chat. We love you very much. Um, stay safe and we'll see you next week. Happy gaming.